Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Well, good morning. Would anybody be surprised if I said we're going to do things just a little bit differently this morning? Okay. Well, good. That means you've been here before. Here's what we're going to do. Um, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to uh, receive... Uh, Ties and offerings. Our, our ushers are going to be getting in place here in just a minute. Uh, before we do that, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Um, first of all, if you've been hanging out at, at River Bluff for a little while and um, have been just trying to figure us out, you got some questions about us, you're maybe thinking about becoming a part of this family, uh, but you, you'd like to sit in and talk, well, we, we, we schedule a time for that. Uh, now, we can, we can do it one-on-one. You can call and we can set up a time to grab some coffee or something like that. Uh, but uh, we also do a, a two-hour seminar. And our next one's coming up uh, about the middle of January. And in that, we'll answer questions that you might have about our church, why we do this, why we do that. We'll try to head those off at the past by telling you about our vision, our values, our core beliefs, those, those kinds of things. But at the end, we'll give you an opportunity to say, you know, I, I want to join River Bluff. I think God's calling me to be a part of this, this faith family. Or maybe, you know, you might feel like you need to run from the building screaming. You know, we hope you don't do that. Um, we, uh, you, you may say, you know, I don't think this is where God wants me. Can you help us find somewhere else? And we'll do our best to help you find a church that may connect with, with who you you are and where you're at in life. And uh, so uh, just keep your eyes open for that. You can do sign up online or uh, out at the Welcome Center, uh, at our Connection Center as well uh, for, for our Exploring Church Membership Seminar. Also, um, I'm uh, going to ask our ushers if you guys want to and gals want to start heading to the back, this would be a good time to do that. Um, if you're a deacon or a deacon's wife, uh, we normally do in January uh, our, uh, an annual meeting and we're doing that again this year. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Instead of just being one evening, we're going to do a Friday night and a Saturday morning. Uh, we've got someone coming in to help us think a little more clearly about how to steward our influence well for the purpose of reaching our area of accountability that God has given us uh, with the gospel of Christ. So um, th- just know that that's coming up on January 10th and 11th. So I'm asking you to kind of save the date. Uh, deacons and wives, if you would do that, get that on your calendar. You'll be getting something in the mail with more specific details about that soon. Before we receive our tithes and offerings, I'd like to pray for us. So join me as we pray together. Father God, we come now giving thanks for the opportunity to to give back to you first of all, that which is yours, your your tithe, God, um, from the first fruits of our income. God, we we come to to bring that now. We also come, God, to to bring to you offerings that would further your work in a unique way maybe that you've laid it on our heart, God. Some, Some ministry or partnership that you've given River Bluff that uh, you're calling on some today to give a special offering to. So God, we ask you now, uh, that if you would, to, to bless uh, these gifts the, and your ties uh, to further the work of people knowing Jesus and knowing the full story of his coming to save uh, us from our sins. Uh, we, we give you thanks now for the opportunity to give back. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, ushers, if you would come and begin receiving. Uh, I'm going to keep talking. Now, I, I, I kind of, I looked at you first to make sure I thought you were sharp enough to do two things at once. And I felt like you could listen and receive a plate and, you know, those kinds of things. Hey, Neil, wave, wave your hand. Neil, 
Raise your hand. The, the gentleman that I said was coming to lead that on January 10th and 11th, he's right there. So deacons and deacons' wives, you can meet, meet Neil McGowan before the day's over. And, uh, and his lovely wife, too. And uh, we're glad to have you with us today. Um, so just, uh, if you would, uh, make note of that. and Y'all make Neil feel welcomed or make fun of him later or whatever. Just however you want to do that. It'll be good. He can take it. He can take it. He's a Georgia fan. You know, we, 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 we love him anyway. Okay, we, we're, we've been in a series uh, that we have called uh, kind of behind the scenes of Christmas. And we've been looking at some of the backstories, how, how God was kind of upstream uh, setting the stage for Christmas. And so we're, we're looking back into the Old Testament. Now, last week we, we looked at um, the creation story. Including the fall, and in Genesis chapter three, we saw this moment that the, that the moment that sin and death walked onto the stage. At that moment, God introduced the idea of the coming Savior. He He told us there would be one who would crush. Uh, sin's capacity to, to enslave us. And so we, we've been, we, we thought about what it was like before uh, Jesus and what the, the experience of people were like and then what it was like after his coming. And so we, we kind of have seen this as kind of this before and after thing. Um, any of y'all ever watched any before and after shows on TV? You know, there was that one where they used to say, move that bus. You know, and they'd show you this big makeover of a house or something. They, there are all kinds of it. Um, many of you know that Kathy and I consider ourselves DIYers. You know, we like to do it ourselves. And um, Kathy is a consummate repurposer. Uh, you know, she goes dumpster diving. She picks up garbage on the side of the road. You know, one man's treasure is another, or trash, trash is another man's treasure kind of thing. But anyway, our house has been furnished... Not completely, but our, our, just so you know, our mattresses weren't picked up at a dumpster. Just, so don't freak out there. That would freak Kathy out if you thought that. Um, but a lot of our furniture, she has repurposed. And uh, that's just something she... she and she's a, she's a fan of like Joanna Gaines, you know, that kind of thing. She will tell you that she was Joanna before Joanna was born, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but that doesn't make her old. I went on public record of stating that, okay? Um, but our culture likes these before and after things. You know, there are all kinds of before and after shows. There's, there's those construction and, you know, repurposing kind of things. Uh, there, there are some that, you know, have to do with makeovers. You know, they, they find the person and, and, and set them up in the frumpiest clothes they can get them in and the worst makeup or no makeup, you know, and then they do the, the before thing and then you see them afterwards after the, the, the magicians have, have done their work and then, then there are, you know, other, other kinds of shows where, kind of the weight loss ones, where, you know, they have this person and they bring them in and then by the end of the show they're half the person they were before they got there. You, you, you got that going on. You got, you got makeover for businesses. Somebody comes in and takes a failing business and, you know, turns it around and it's, it, it's just kind of a great thing, you know. It, it goes from surviving to, to thriving and, you know, if you like those shows, if, if you like those makeover kind of shows, before and after shows, I want to give you a time-saving tip. Tape the show and just go back and watch the last three minutes. I mean, you get the whole show, you really do, you know, in the last three minutes. You know, because one of the last things they do is they, they put up on the, you know, on the TV or whatever, the, 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 whatever you're watching, they put up the split screen. 
and they show you the before and then they show you the after side by side and, and you get to see the effect and then you know, well, maybe I'd go back and figure, I'd, I'd like to know how they got here. Okay? Well, that's kind of what we're doing. We're looking behind the scenes, the before of Christmas. And we're going to be also thinking about and looking after. And we're doing this all because when Jesus came, everything changed. And so as we're thinking about Christmas, as we're thinking about the, the, the soon and coming uh, nature of Jesus returning as we celebrate through this Advent season, we, we want to be charged up. We want to be excited of what Jesus came to do, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is going to do because it's all because uh, of Jesus. Now last week we looked specifically um, at the fall and we saw th this great story emerging of God being at work even in that moment to send, send the coming Savior. And this morning what I want us to do is, is see God's continuing unfolding plan to set his people free from slavery and captivity to sin to ultimate victory because Jesus came to win for us an ultimate victory. Now to really be captured by that you need to understand the culture of oppression that God sent Jesus into. Um, Jesus came when there was an occupying force occupying the, the land of Palestine. It's not kind of unusual for those things to happen over there and there was the, the Romans had been occupying uh, the, this, the, the Hebrew people basically they had enslaved them and so they were anxiously again awaiting a Messiah. One who, who would come and, and set them free and they, they were again essentially living as, as just slaves in their, in their own land and so they, they, were, they were hoping, they were waiting, they were first waiting for God to say something because God had, had not spoken in, in over 400 years. I don't, I don't know what, what kind of Bible you may have but uh, the Bible that I have up here today, there is one page that separates the Old and New Testament. And it's blank. Okay? But that page represents 400 years. And it's blank for a reason. Because for 400 years, God didn't say anything. He said nothing. And the people were anxiously awaiting to, to hear a new word from God. So he quit talking at the end of Malachi through that prophet. And then he did not speak again until the voice crying out in the wilderness. John the baptizer comes on the scene and he brings a message from God proclaiming the coming of Messiah. And so the, the people began to, to, to they're, they're in this de desperate situation, they're, they're in captivity and slavery once again to, to the Romans and one of the ways that they would keep their hopes alive is they would annually do this celebration that God had told them to do called Passover and God told them to make it elaborate. To throw a great big huge party and for the party to last for a while and for them to celebrate the deliverance that God had brought them through before as a foretaste of, of what would one day come. And so every year they would. They would celebrate the Passover and they would remind each other and they would remind their children of how God had delivered them out of slavery uh, to the Egyptians and that, that, that God had rescued them through, through Moses and how God would rescue them once again. So every year they would, do, they would do this and part of their celebration would be they would literally read from the scriptures. 
And they would read about the Exodus and, and the, you know, the, the ten plagues. And they would read about um, the parting of the Red Sea. They would read about the, the, the fall of Jericho. They would read about how God delivered them. About the manna from heaven in the wilderness. And the, as the story would go on, they would read Exodus. But they would also read into Deuteronomy. And they would read through that book uh, of Moses. And when they got to the 18th chapter, something incredible would happen. Because there is a word from God for the, those who were caught in slavery at that time. So in, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, as they're reading, they get to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and they hear these words. And the, this was a word that God gave to Moses. And, and Moses recorded, he said, And the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them, speaking of God's people, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. From among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, God says, if you don't listen when that prophet comes, you're going to have to deal directly with me. There's going to be a judgment that's going to come. So they, they have this Passover. They're, they're, they're excited. They're celebrating what God has done. And then they get to this, and their anticipation rises. They start getting hopeful. Just as we are hopeful for the return of our soon and coming King Jesus. For him to come back. Not, not just for the incarnation that we experience at, at Christmas. But for the coronation when he comes back as king. They, they were awaiting. They, they would begin getting excited for this new prophet. That Moses, God had told Moses to tell the people that they would come. Now, I want to I give you kind of a little bit of a quiz this morning to get your, your, your thinking juices flowing. So I, I want to form this in, in the form of a the final Jeopardy. Anybody watch Jeopardy? Okay, this is kind of a final Jeopardy statement, okay? So a lot of money's on the balance here. So, you know, get ready to answer this. I want you to give your answer to the person next to you in just a second. But here's the Jeopardy question. It's coming up now. Oh, it's already up there. He was born under an order of gender genocide by the reigning monarch. One of his cribs was made from a species of grass. He is still honored by people around the world for establishing a covenant between God and man and for being sent by God to deliver God's people following 400 years of God's silence. And the answer is who? I, both of them end in S. I hear Jesus and Moses. And if you answered Jesus you would be correct. And if you answered Moses, you, you would be correct. Moses and Jesus were both born during these times when the ruling monarch had issued a decree that Jewish babies, boys, would be killed. You, you read in Exodus chapter 1 verse 22 about Pharaoh ordering that in the land of Goshen. When you read about uh, in Matthew chapter 2, Herod issuing that command for the Israeli baby boys in, in Bethlehem. They were both born into that. Moses, one of his first cribs was this floating thing made of reed, which is a type of grass, river grass. And, and Jesus was laid in a, a manger, probably with, with, with hay containing that kind of grass. God sent Moses to establish the Old Testament covenant of law. And God sent Jesus to establish his covenant of grace. And both Moses and Jesus came on the scene after God had been silent or the people had been held in captivity for over 400 years. And so they were looking. They were looking for this one like Moses. And in John's gospel, John, John begins at the beginning of his gospel telling us about John, John the baptizer. 
He starts telling us about John the baptizer in, in, in John chapter 1 verse 21. We read this. Because the people have started watching John the Baptist and they're excited. They're, they're thinking maybe, maybe, maybe this is him coming. He's, he's got some powerful words. So they go to, go to John and they ask this. Are you Elijah? Because there was prophecy that one like Elijah would come before the, the Messiah would come. And he said, I am not. So they said, are you the prophet? Are you the one like Moses that will come to deliver? If, if you have a really good study Bible and you're reading John chapter 1 verse 21, it will cross-reference you back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 where it speaks of this prophet that would come. Because they were, they were waiting for this. They're, they're saying, is this you? A little bit further down in John chapter 1 and verse 45, there's this encounter that Philip has. When he, when he meets Jesus for the very first time, he hears John the Baptist say this. This is the one Philip knows that this is the Messiah. So he runs to tell his friend Nathaniel about, uh, about Jesus. He tells Nathaniel, we, we have found him. And then he adds a, a line, the one that Moses wrote about. I mean, he basically references back to say that that prophet that we're awaiting, he's, he, he's come. We've been waiting for him and he's here. Then if you go over into Luke chapter 4, when Jesus kind of launches his public ministry as Luke records it, it's really, he, he's recording Jesus' first sermon that he preached in, in a synagogue. And Jesus is in the synagogue that day and he's been kind of doing some teaching and he's, he's beginning to be known. And so they offer for him to read. Uh, he's, he's a grown man now. They offer for him to do the reading of scripture in the synagogue, which was a great, great honor. And the Bible says that he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. Now, I have, I have a sanctified imagination. You, you can have one too. And so, even though it doesn't say this, I imagine Jesus smiled when they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. Because Isaiah is all about who? It's all about Jesus. It's just, it's, it's everything about Jesus. It was written 700 years before Jesus was born, but it's all about Jesus. Isaiah prophesied about the virgin birth of Jesus. Isaiah, you know, talked about the, the coming of, of the, the one who would come before the Messiah and be the herald. He talked about John the Baptist that way. Isaiah foretold of the miracles of Jesus. Isaiah told in, in graphic detail about the, the brutal death of Jesus. So Jesus knows, I believe, what he's going to read from Isaiah. He, I believe he could have quoted it. I believe he had it, had it memorized. I mean, afterward, you know, oh, he inspired Isaiah to write the words. Come on. You know, those, these, were, these were his words anyway. But he decides to turn, to move the scroll along until he gets to what we know as Isaiah chapter 61. And Luke records this, this moment when Jesus reads from the scripture. And this is what he reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, this would not have been the first time in that synagogue somebody would have read Isaiah chapter 61. It, it, that wouldn't have been the first time. It's probably been read many times in that synagogue. And normally after a passage is read, the, the one who had read it would then begin telling people, well, here's this passage, what, we're, what we've just read is about the coming Messiah. 
You know, and he's, he, he's, he's the one they probably would have even pointed back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. He, he's going to be the one that we're told about that will be like Moses. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus doesn't do that. The Bible says when Jesus finished reading that he rolled the scroll up, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. Kind of like, I'm done. And I just, again, I think there was probably this weird, freaky, awkward silence. You know, people thinking, can we go? You know, is it... Or is this it? Are we, are we done? Nobody's going to sing a praise, closing praise song and we're going to go, you know? What, what, what's, what's up with this? And then, then the Bible tells us, Jesus speaks. He brings a one-sentence sermon. Don't get excited. Ain't going to happen here. Okay? Jesus brings this, this one-sentence sermon. And this is what he says. Just happened. What I, what I read. Just happened. It's here. Right now. Done. And, and the people are in awe. You know, they, 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 they just, they, they can't get over it. And, but they're confused. And so they, they, they start kind of questioning one another and say, Isn't this Joe Carpenter's son? You know, this is not how they had imagined. This is not how they thought the one like Moses would show up for the first time. You know, the one who had led them out of physical bondage in Egypt. They, they imagined they needed to get out of this bondage to, to Rome. But Jesus came to release them from a different kind of bondage first. Moses came to set people free from physical slavery. Jesus came to set people free from the spiritual bondage to sin. Slaves to sin. Another way, just to put it, Moses, Moses stood in the presence of Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. Jesus stood in the presence of Satan and sin and death and he said, let my people go. Let my people go. Romans chapter 8 is just an incredible chapter. And I love the way the message paraphrases verse 2 of Romans chapter 8. It says this, a new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Jesus came to set us free from the brutal tyranny of sin and death. But here's a great spiritual problem that most all of us have. Most all of us suffer from this or have suffered from this. Very, very few of us have ever thought of ourselves as being slaves of sin. We don't, we don't really have that mindset that I'm either currently enslaved to sin or that I've ever been enslaved to sin. We don't, we don't like that language. We don't talk like that. We tend to say like, things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm struggling today. Got me a little struggle going on, you know. I'm, or or I've, I've been battling this, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding strong. We have these phrases, you know. Uh, one of my favorites is, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some stuff. You're a slave to sin. Come on. You've either been there or you are. You're not just dealing with some stuff. 
There's something much deeper going on. And unless we understand that that has been or is our spiritual condition, you will never experience the joy of Christmas fully. It will never, you'll never be flooded by the great joy of that news that the angels came to bring until you have walked through and understood clearly. You have been enslaved to sin and Jesus came to set you free and so we've got to wrap our minds around it. And so I want to walk you through a, a few possible signs that you may be a slave to sin. Okay? You might be a slave to sin if, the first one is this, if you continue the same habits despite adverse outcomes. If you, if you do the same behavior over and over again even though the cost has been so high. Like when you were younger, a young man or a young woman and, and your pride got in the way and it destroyed you and it cost you a lot and you may not have seen it then but you know it now but your pride still drives you to push people away because you've just got this need to always be right or or maybe you didn't realize it in the early days that that lust and and greed was doing the damage that it would do but eventually you realized it that what it was doing to you but you keep on driving in that you know or maybe maybe the deceit and the lies you know but you just keep going back for more you, you just you just order one more one more round just just one more round I read a couple weeks ago an illustration that I just thought was incredible. Have any of y'all ever done like an eBay auction? You ever been online and you know done that done that eBay kind of thing? Um, here's what I want you to imagine with me: that you go on eBay and you're just kind of shopping around a little bit, seeing what's what's being auctioned, and you come across this candy apple red BMW convertible newest model and you are so excited it's your dream car but you, you you know you can't you can't afford it but then you look down at the opening bid and you think I could do that I, I could do that and and so so you bid I mean you, your thought is man it would be poor stewardship not to bid at this rate you know so you bid and you kind of kind of watch it for the next couple hours and somebody else bids just incremental a little bit and so you think well I can go up that much and then a few other people do these little incremental bids and you think well it's just a little bit more so I'm gonna go up and you, and you just kind of get caught in this cycle for a couple of days just those little incremental nudges and bids you're going up till eventually at some point the the, the bid has now exceeded the blue book value of this car but you keep kind of bidding. You keep, you're, you're kind of sucked into this cycle. And, and then suddenly the bidding's over. And guess what? You won. Great news. Guess what the bad news is? You won. Because you can't pay for it. And so you, you go digging through a drawer where you had hid your you know your MasterCard from yourself and your Visa card from yourself and you, you pull them all out 
and you max them out. Still not enough. I mean, you're going to be paying on this thing for a long, long time. And so you decide, I'm going to have to call some of my family and ask for help. And so you drag some family members in and now you've sucked some friends in to, to this thing you've done. And so finally, you know, you, you, you got enough money and you, you send the money in and you are told of a delivery date. And so you stay home from work that day and you're, you're just looking. You've perched yourself at a table so you can sit comfortably and watch your driveway. Because you're going to see it the moment that beautiful red machine comes to your driveway. And so you're sitting there for about an hour or so and the UPS guy pulls in. And you get angry because he's blocking your driveway. How is the, you know, how's the BMW convertible candy red apple? How's it going to get in my driveway? And so you go out and you kind of give the devil to the UPS guy. He says, look, I just want to, you got to sign for this package. I'll get out of your driveway. So you sign for the package and you, you go sit on the porch. You just kind of throw the package down and you watch the UPS. You kind of hurry him out the, the driveway. And so he goes on his way. And so you're sitting there and just without really thinking about it, you just kind of reach over and start tearing open the package. And when you get the package open, you're holding in your hand a candy apple, red, BMW, convertible. And you think about the pictures that you saw and, and you, think about, you think about the way it had been worded and you're, you're holding this snapped together, not real car. And it has taken everything from you. It, it has robbed you of everything that you thought it was going to bring you, it's gone. And, and, and not only that, it, it robbed some of your friends and family. It took, it took from them as well. Now imagine, you get up the next morning and you open your computer and eBay's there and you just happen to take a quick glance and now there's a cherry red Mercedes and you bid. That's what sin is like. That, that, that's, what, that's what sin does to, to the, the human soul. We, we think we can, we can pay this price and pay this price thinking it's going to get something that we're longing for but it costs us. It costs us in an incredible way. And it costs those uh, around us. And it's never real. It's, it always delivers something that's snapped together that is not real. It, it's, it's a lie. And many have that relationship with sin. It takes everything. But we just keep going back to it. And see, Jesus came to set us free from that maddening cycle of sin. Jesus came to set us free from that. But you've got you to gotta know that you're a slave to sin. You've got to know that you have been enslaved that way before. If, if the joy of Jesus is going to be something to celebrate. Another way that you might know that you are a slave to sin is this. Is if when you try to disengage it, you feel disjointed. You don't, you don't feel like yourself. You feel, you, you, you feel like somebody else maybe. When you try to pull away from this habit, it, it's like, this is me. This habit is, this is, this is who I am. This, this behavior that I do is who I am. And what's happened is... Sin has become your identity. 
And Jesus came to set, to set you free from the slavery of that kind of identity to give you a new identity. You know, you, 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 you've thought for a long time, I, I want to do things differently, but you have finally kind of gotten to the place where you think, well, I, I can't change. And you start thinking, well, I can't help it. I, I, I can't, you know, I'm just wired this way. This is just the way God made me. I'm just, just, just who I am. And, and suddenly, our sinful desires have become our identity. In that moment, you have made yourself a slave to sin. You, you, you've decided that you are the things that you're doing. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he, he, he said this to, in, in Romans chapter 6. He says, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. And, and he had given them the gospel. And things had changed. To the church at Galatia, he wrote this in chapter 6. He, he says, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. See, this is what Jesus came to do. He came to give you a new identity, no longer a slave, no longer identify yourself by your struggles, by the mistakes you've made. Instead, that you would identify yourself with the sacrifice, not the sin, not your sin, but the sacrifice of Jesus. That you would see yourselves as, as, as children of God, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, not, not as, as those who are enslaved to sin. Another way that you could know that you might be a slave to sin is if you live in dread, you live in dread of being discovered. You, you, the thought, the thought of being found out. See, sin wants to enslave you this way. It wants to convince you that the very worst thing that could ever happen to you is that somebody would find out what you have been doing or what you are continuing to do. And the more you keep that in darkness, the stronger, the stronger the grip is that sin has over you until you have become its slave and you serve that. Because you're convinced now that if anybody were to find out, my life as I know it would be over. And so that drives you deeper and deeper into darkness. And you become correspondingly more and more a slave to sin. And what happens is nobody really knows you. And nobody knows the struggle that, that you're going through because nobody knows what you're dealing with. And it drives you into darkness and deeper into despair and it has enslaved you. In John chapter 3, John describes the coming of Jesus this way. He says, the light from heaven came into the world, but they love the darkness more than they love the light. And they stayed away from that light for fear their sins would be exposed. If, if, if you find yourselves avoiding the light of Christ. See, Jesus came so that you could experience forgiveness. So that you could experience grace. And so darkness, Jesus came to pull you out of darkness into light. Did you know that the Bible describes that light as marvelous? The marvelous light. See, God's light is marvelous because when you come out of darkness into the marvelous light, you are set free. You are set. There are many in this room that could testify to this reality and I'm one of them. There was a moment in time when I looked a brother in the eye and confessed sin one day 
And what that brother did for me was wept. He wept and he embraced me. And he, he just, he hugged me and he shared his own story. And we wept together. And in that moment when it came out of darkness into light, do you know what happened? About 75% of the power that Satan had on my life evaporated. It was gone. Now there was still some work to do, but that was gone. That, that power. That's what God's marvelous light does. It, it, it destroys the power, the grip that, that sin has on you. And you get to be taking your first steps into, into the freedom of God's marvelous light. Another way that you might know that you're a slave to sin is this. Is you run back to it in order to deal with it. You, you run back to it in order to deal with it. D does that make sense? Let me see if I can explain it this way. Because it's like this. It may cause you a lot of difficulty, a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness. But when you're feeling that experientially, when those emotions are welling up inside of you, you run back to it once again to medicate it. You run back to it once again to have the power just to cope with all of that pain. Now, historically, we, we think of that in, in terms of addictions, but it's true in so many areas of our lives. The writer of Proverbs said it this way. It's kind of gross before lunch, but it's in the scriptures, so you've got to deal with it. It says this, like a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. I, I mean, it's like saying, this makes me sick. Give me some more. I mean, that, that, that's, that's that cycle that's going on. And again, you know, you think about somebody who uh, has battled with alcohol. Marty shared this story a few weeks ago with us. Somebody who's, alcohol cost him everything. But then he would return back to it. Right, Marty? Because it, it, he ran back to it. You know? It, it costs so many things. What, what, what is the person, you know, who, who has gotten in trouble financially, may, maybe lost a car, maybe about to lose their house? What do they, where do they go when the pressure of all that hits them? They go shopping. They go shopping. Where, where does, where does the, 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 the man who is addicted to porn and it's, it's disintegrated his marriage and, and, and created a wall between he and his wife and he doesn't understand it because all he's experiencing, he's just feeling frustrated and rejected. Where does he go? He goes back to a porn site. See, you, you run back to it in order to try to deal with it. That's the definition of slavery. And Jesus came that first Christmas to set us free from that. So that instead of returning to that, we run to him. Instead of running back into captivity, we can run to Jesus for, for freedom. One of the last ways you could indicate that you might be a slave to sin is this. You live constantly discouraged and hopeless. You're just, you just kind of live in this constant state of discouragement and, and, and hopelessness. You know, you're, you're discouraged because as I've spoken about some of these things, you've seen some area of your life maybe rise to the surface. And you, you're thinking, I have paid way too large a price for this. And so have some of the people that I love. And you're just at that place where you, you've tried to change and change hasn't come. 
You've sworn things are going to be different and you've let yourself down so many times that you're convinced that this is just your life. You've said tomorrow will be different so many times that you don't even believe it anymore. And that's what sin does. Enslavement to sin just beats you up and beats you down until you, until you can't get up again by yourself. Until you, you can't get up again with, without some help. Back to the Exodus story. Back in Exodus chapter 6, this is before Moses has led them into freedom, before God has delivered his people. Moses is talking to them about their captivity. He's trying to instill some courage in them because Pharaoh has begun to, to increase their workload. And we, we see in Exodus chapter 6, they're... they're their slavery has become an even greater burden. And so God speaks to Moses and he says to Moses, go tell the people this. And it's verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 6 of Exodus. I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. But look what happens. Look at the people's response in verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because... Of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I love the message translation. It translates it this way. Paraphrases it. But when Moses delivered this message to the Israelites. They didn't even hear him. They were that beaten down in spirit. By the harsh slave conditions. And maybe you're here today. And, and you feel that way. I, I, know, I know as your pastor. One of the. Call it a weight that I carry for, for, for you this Christmas, for, for our church this Christmas, is that you would not be burdened down by the weight of enslavement to sin. That, that, that would not be you. I know that, you know, our elders have to make a lot of decisions around here and they're involved in all kinds of things. Uh, but one of the great weights on, on their hearts as, as those who God has called to spiritually shepherd the people known as River Bluff, they carry this for you and, and, and pray about this. I'm going to invite our, our worship team to come on up to the stage. You know, that first Christmas, the angels came saying, I bring you new, good news of great joy, for a Savior was born to you. That Savior is Christ the Lord. We, we, we sang about that moments ago. And that's, that's the same news, you know, that, that we were singing about. But because you may be here today beaten down by sin, beaten up by sin, enslaved to sin, you know, you look around at people celebrating and you just, you can't. It's just not, it's not in you. You don't, you don't feel the joy because you don't feel like there's anything left. And if that's true for you, then I fear that you have allowed slavery, you've enslaved yourself to sin. And, and the, the good news of great joy is this. Jesus came to set you free. He came to set the oppressed free. And so if you're feeling beat up or held down, this Christmas, my prayer is that your life would become a before and after story. That, that your life would be like one of those split screen moments 
where you came to Jesus for the first time and got set free from your captivity or you came back to Jesus to be set free again today. You don't have to be the same person after this Christmas as you were before. You don't have to be the same person after this service as you were when, when you got here because Jesus came to set captives free and he is still in that business. And so the question is, if one of those descriptors was you, will you choose to let Jesus set you free today? Will you? Let's pray. In just a moment, our worship team is going to begin leading us into a song. It's a song of great truth for anyone who comes to Christ or comes back to him. And so I'm, I'm just going to ask you if you would, just to begin with, just let this song be your prayer. And maybe as, as you're praying, maybe the Holy Spirit will point to you point out to you a place maybe right now where slavery where you're enslaved to, to sin where captivity has a hold on your life and, and maybe, maybe when that happens you just need to take that to Jesus you need to run to Jesus instead of back to that sin to deal run to Jesus just go to him this morning and confess it and agree with him. Maybe you want to go to one of the crosses and just and, and, and attach that sin to a cross and say, Dear Jesus, I'm running to you. And I'm trusting that your sacrificial death at Calvary overcomes sin for me. It sets me free from the captivity of sin. And maybe you've, maybe you've had to do that before and you're embarrassed. By the grace of God, come receive his mercy again today. It's new every day, the Bible tells us. You can, just, you can just come back to Jesus again to be set free. But let this first be your prayer. And then when you've allowed the Holy Spirit to deal with anything in your life, let that prayer turn to your praise. Let it then become your praise as you come to Jesus and celebrate and worship the reality that you're no longer a slave to sin. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.